Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. I give you my mouth. I give you my will. I give you everything that I am to work with as you desire, to speak through what you want, what you desire. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit because we have all come hungry this morning to hear from you. To know the path that you have laid before us. To understand the height, width, depth, and breadth of this calling that we're in. This path that you have us on. Father, we love you so much. We give you this time as we have already given you our worship. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Last night, the Lord gave me a title, and that was all he gave me. And he said he would tell me more this morning, and this morning he took me a few places. But the title he gave me was The Agony of Breakthrough. I remember dwelling on that last night, just imagining what he was going to say about that. Because it, it kind of goes against itself when you think about it. When you think of the word agony, you think of hell. You think of difficulty. You think of things you do not want to go through. <laughs> right? There you go. And when you think of breakthrough... You think of what God has. You think of the other side of the wall, the other side of that door that God has in the calling of your life. So I was just mulling over with him last night, the agony of breakthrough and what that means. Where I just read, and I, I want you to turn there, is in First Peter chapter 1. But before... I go back and I want to read that passage again. Before I do, I want to explain perhaps a ground rule, perhaps a foundation of what he's going to be talking about this morning. See, the agony of breakthrough is when there is breakthrough that we've been seeking with God. Right? We're waiting for breakthrough in this country, <laughs> certainly. And I pretty much feel like we're in agony over that right now. Right? Okay, that metaphor fits. But there are some agonies that we bring on ourselves. There are agonies that we bring on through sin or perhaps through even not being obedient 
or taking matters into our own hands. Oftentimes we can even do things that we aren't aware of that put us into a position that we didn't want to be in, right? That is not what I'm talking about this morning. If you are in agony over those things, then that is a different pathway for you to get beyond that agony. It's very simple. Jesus said when we ask forgiveness for sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Right? When we go down a path even though we don't know his sin but was, when he reveals it, just as David cried out, show me anything. Show me anything that I have done that has come between you and I, and I will get rid of it. Well, when we do that and we pray that and he reveals, then we can ask forgiveness and he gets rid of it. That's not the agony I'm talking about this morning. The agony of breakthrough is that pathway that the Lord takes you down that leads to his breakthrough will. Let's read in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start back what I already read. I'm, I'm going to read verse beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, want, I really want you to focus on every word. That there is so much, we're going to read down through verse 9, there is so much in this passage, we could spend weeks just talking about this. So it's very important that you don't gloss over any of this, because we're not going to spend the entire time on this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. That means an active hope, a living here in our lives during this time, hope. We have this hope right now. This is not a future hope. This is the hope that we can cling to right now. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, He's keeping it in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. If you don't pay attention, you miss something right there. All these things that he promises for us, this eternal life, all the things he said there, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, by God's power are being guarded through what? Through faith. Being guarded through faith. There is an ingredient that we pour into this that is important to what He holds for us in heaven. Not our ticket to heaven, and I'm going to point that out every time we go over this. This is not talking about your salvation, your justification of sin. This is not talking about your entrance into heaven. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about your position. This is talking about your rewards. This is talking about that intimacy, that relationship that you have with Him. By the way, the intimacy and relationship you build with Him through faith here on earth does not stop when you die. What would be the point of that? 
That makes no sense. It moves on. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that, where we then see him face to face. Where our faith is then rewarded because of the truth of who he is and the truth of what he does. But recognize that our faith is important here. That's the ingredient that we put in for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is a salvation, a relationship with Christ. You can plug that word in in there. So this relationship with Christ revealed, ready to be revealed in the last time. Some some of your Bibles may say the last day. It's not the very last day. It is the time frame in which his return is included. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I know a lot of us would like to take that piece out. (laughs) It would be a whole lot easier to take that piece out. But then verse 7 couldn't be true. So that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Recognize we have a part to play here. We go through trials. We go through difficulties. He said, though now for a little while, because of our faith, so that the tested genuineness, the real article. Your faith, is it the real article? Is it the truth of who you are? Or is it just your lip service? I believe. I believe, and then you walk a different path. But on Sunday morning, I believe. And Tuesday night, I believe. But then Wednesday morning comes, and we walk a different path. See, the trials that we go through are, the, are to test the genuineness of that faith. Because it is that faith that he holds that inheritance in heaven for us. Again, not our ticket to heaven. Not our justification of sin. But our relationship with him. Our very rewards that he offers us. It is all this process that is... His way of making, it says in the the latter part of verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Don't miss that right there either. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that it's that is inexpressible. Do you ever walk around? Do you ever spend time with the Lord and you get this overwhelming feeling that you can't even express? I mean, oftentimes it's expressed in tears. Oftentimes it's expressed in laughter. It can be expressed in an awe. However it's expressed, it's inexpressible because it's something that just comes out. We cannot control it. 
And it is a result of that relationship. It's the result of that faith being tested and made genuine that we love Him though we did not see Him. That we still love Him though we do not see Him. This isn't just past tense. It's present. It's future. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me rephrase that a little bit. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the relationship between you and him, between your soul, your spirit, and his. See, this is an ongoing goal. He promised us right here that what we have waiting in heaven is this intimacy that we build here. But there will be trials. There can be no breakthrough without trials. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. And there are so many examples in the word of God of this agony before breakthrough. I mean, literally, you can just about take every story that you know in the word of God, apply this framework to it, and it's the same. It fits. But I want, I want to take you to one that is probably the most impactful in all of history, and that is what Jesus did on the cross. There's nothing that affected us more than that. Right? Because that's what bought us life. Jesus, giving his life on the cross, purchased life for us. Right? I want you to turn, though. Turn in Mark chapter 14. You remember, by this time, this was uh, uh, three years into his ministry, he had his disciples, and he knows now it's, it's time to go to, to Jerusalem. He has the triumphal entry. Oh, here comes our king. Everything's good. We're laying palm branches down at his feet, and all is good. We're going to have a conquering king. Rome will not bug us anymore. (laughs) Didn't quite work out that way, did it? Right? That's why the people turned on him. So the night before he was arrested, we find Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane and praying. This is one of the most intimate times you could read of in the Word of God. Understand what's going on here. Jesus is a man, right? He is not acting as God as he was here, even though he is God and was God. But he did not act as God. He did not use his power as God to get through what he needed to get through. The example of that was his testing in the wilderness. He only quoted back scripture. He only pointed to the Father. He would not take things into his own hands, which is literally what Satan tempted him to do. So Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the calling on his life, but he knew it by faith, just like you and I. The evidence of that is the fact here that he prayed, if there's any other way, take it from me. See, if it wasn't by faith, he wouldn't have included that in the prayer because he would have known. This is one of the most blaring examples of how Jesus, by his own choice, being the Son of God, limited himself 
so that he could show us the pathway of faith. Show us that we can gain that faith here on earth. What would be the point if he did anything as God for us to follow? Because we're not God. We can't follow in that strength. It would have been useless to us. So everything that he did, he did with the expectation that you could look at his life and you could follow. Now you couldn't follow in your own strength. But guess what? Neither did he. He followed through the strength of the Holy Spirit who filled him. But, but understand what's going on here in this prayer. Let's, let's start, just start at verse 32. We're in Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took them and he took with them Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. You can imagine the conversations that he's probably having with them. See, something caused the progression here. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. If he was already heavily troubled externally, what's the point of taking them? What's the point of saying that that happened after he took these three? Now, this is just conjecture, but I'm going to express to you what I believe is going on here. I believe this was the first real recognition that in this final hour, they didn't have a clue what was coming. They didn't have a clue. And yet Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was coming. So he leaves the main disciples. He takes three of what you might call his inner core, those that were closest to him. And he goes a little further and he's talking with them. And whatever that discussion was grieved him heavily. And so he just said, wait here and I'll go further. Verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. And go. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. In other words, Lord, if there's any way this can be accomplished in any other way, let it be done. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. <laughs> Isn't that how we pray? Lord, I know you could do anything. You could do anything. You can make this this boss offer me this job or offer me this 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 upgrade this promotion you know this increase of salary whatever we we kind of pray in some ways manipulatively how it might affect us and yet if we know if we press into the lord for what the lord has for us then we don't have to pray that way just like Jesus knew the end goal here. He knew the end goal. The end goal was the salvation 
of souls, the redemption of mankind. He knew that was the goal here. And yet, in our hearts, in our flesh, there's that battle, that turmoil of what we have to pay, what price we have to give for that to happen. See, what, what a testimony that the Word of God puts here. It didn't have to put that in here. Right? The Holy Spirit didn't have to breathe that portion for Jesus to pray, man, if there's any other way, any other way. And we cannot fathom what he was going through at the time. All of us, we're looking at it this morning, and, and the best we can do is guess. The best we could do is guess. We can't fathom what he was going through simply because nobody, God has not placed on any one of us the weight of the entire creation. Never has, never will. He only did that on one person. And that was God. That was the Son of God who manifest as a man, Jesus Christ. Verse 37, or at the end of that, yet not my will, but what you will. Verse 37, and he came and found him sleeping and said, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. I'm just going to finish through verse 42. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. See my betrayed. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Recognize what went on here. This was agony. I, I would almost say, because we know it was so much so that, that he sweat drops of blood. I would say here, this agony was probably in my guess. The Bible doesn't say this. This is my guess. It was more agony than him actually being beaten, actually being on the cross. Because, see, there's a mind frame that changes when things begin. I've used this example before, but I used to get so anxious, um, nervous. Nervous isn't a good word, but before I'd play football, before a game. And just so, you know, like, if I don't do something, I'm going to explode. <laughs> and then once the whistle blew and that first kickoff and the first hit, then everything just went into just a, a mode of doing it. There's a mind change when things actually start, right? I, I think, in my guesstimation, that would have happened for Christ. For Jesus, see, he knew what was coming. The Father had told him what was coming. That's why he said, if there's any other way, take it from me, but yet not my will but yours be done. He was in agony. 
He was going through absolute hell at this time. Not in a physical way, except for the drops of blood that were coming through his sweat. He wasn't being beaten at this time. He wasn't hanging on a cross at this time. But yet he was in agony because of what was coming. Because of the unknown of what was coming. See, again, Jesus, just like us, believed by faith in what the Father had said. When we set into motion in something that He has given us faith to believe, we believe that and often we agonize over that. Well, Lord, this just looks exactly opposite than what you said. What's going on? Our prayers become agony over what is happening in the world right now. What is happening in Nigeria what is happening and coming, by the way, to the U.S. Right? It's opposite of some of the things that he's shown us. Opposite of certainly the end goal. But yet not a surprise. Because there's always agony before breakthrough. Think of the breakthrough that the cross purchased. It's why you and I are sitting here. It's why we have eternal life. Because Jesus purchased that with his blood. We, have commun- we had communion this morning. When we took up the wafer, when we took up the juice, just like what Jeff said, it represented something. It represented that breakthrough. That breakthrough that Jesus paid for with his agony, even before the cross. This was all part of the process. Why did he have to go through that? Why? You ever think of why he had to go through some of the things he did? If God's only goal was for him to die on the cross, give his life for us, he could have done that a day after birth. But see, the problem is that's not what it was about. That was the requirement. But along with that had to come a life that could teach us. A life that we could follow. A life that as a man, he led so we can look and see, yes, he can expect us to do that because he did it. He literally paved the way for us to do it. So there was massive breakthrough after the agony that Jesus paid. Now I want to tell you another one. Let's turn to Acts chapter 21. You guys, you guys know this one too. And this, this is interesting. I, I had read this morning a few chapters in Acts. And there, there's so much, so much in here. I'm not going to back up. But, but the previous chapters to this are, are just so amazing. And so many examples of... The agony before breakthrough. I mean, j- just one, uh, it, which which is pretty wild, uh, that I read this morning. Considering Paul, remember when he was in the shipwreck, right? And and he he is on the island and he gets bit by the snake. Okay, you know what what was about to happen before that? They were seen as as basically people that are set to die, 
You know, they're all prisoners. They're all all uh, convicts and from the people on the island. And and so they're they're setting up. And and when Paul gets bit, they're they're like, oh yeah, he probably deserved that. You know, because he's probably a murderer. You know, killed somebody or whatever. And then he doesn't he doesn't blow up. He doesn't die. He doesn't. You know. Uh, there's no effect. He just literally shakes this, this snake off into the fire. And they watch him for a second. And because nothing happens, now all of a sudden he's a god. Right? Now all of a sudden he's a god. So think about that. Now, now, obviously he explains to them, no, I am not a god. But let me tell you about the god. All right, that was the breakthrough. That was the breakthrough on that island. They didn't know. They had no idea. That was the breakthrough. But think of the agony that he had to go through to get there. And he knew it was coming. In fact, he even told the guys, hey, guys, let's not go out. We're going to get shipwrecked. (laughs) No, we'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was agony. Even the agony of, Lord, will we all live? Yes, you will all live, but do not let them leave. So he goes to the captain of the boat and he says, cut the lifeboats free. Cut them free. Otherwise, you will all perish. I love how he says, you will all perish. <laughs> he was pretty confident of his own, own self, because he knew that he had to go to Jerusalem, and ultimately to Rome. So, yeah. But think of the agony. You know, it's, it's not like Paul didn't have to go through the process of these waves flying over. I don't know about you, but if I'm in heavy waves, I don't do so well with my stomach. I went fishing one time with class four waves. There's only class five. It goes one through five. And we went deep sea fishing 55 miles out. And we paid a lot of money. There were five of us paid a lot of money to charter this boat. And we're going out and we're, the guy tells us beforehand, well, just want to let you know there's class four waves. And I don't know. It's up to you guys if you want to try it. And I'm like, do we get our money back? Well, no. You can reschedule. <laughs> no, we're going to try it. We're going to go. I've been waiting three months for this. So we go out, and, and basically what he said is, I'll keep going as long as there is one of you that doesn't get sick. And one by one, <laughs> over the side. I mean, if we were going for shark, it would have been perfect chum, probably. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was the last. I was holding out because I thought I paid a lot of money for this. I will hold it in. (laughs) And I was good until I had to go to the bathroom and I went inside the cab. Big mistake. Big mistake because then I couldn't watch the horizon and all of a sudden I'm going like this and I'm not seeing, you know, and I'm just getting all loopy and everything else. I finally walk out on the deck and there he goes. And he said, okay, we're turning around. We had spent two and a half hours getting out there. We were finally out there, right? So I said, okay, fine. I'm going to go to sleep. I go in there. I'd thrown up, so nothing else to throw up. I, I go to sleep. And, and there, it, I wake up literally two hours later. And I hear on the radio all the guys that stayed out there, all the boats that stayed out there are catching their, their limit. And this on tuna, catching their limit. Oh no! Which, if we'd have cut our limit, we would have not only paid for the trip, but double paid for the trip. Oh. 
we're hearing all this. Oh, they're here over here. Send the boats over here. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? Why didn't we go back? He said, well, you were asleep. Wake me up. I don't even know why I went to that story. Because, see, there was no breakthrough there. That was just agony. All right? That's an example of maybe something you bring on yourself. But imagine what Paul had to go through. Back to the Bible. Sorry. Sorry. Yep, sorry. Hey, we are preaching today about God. This is about God. All right, sometimes I get a little off on my story. That's okay. Come, come, come sit in my living room. You'll see that's no different there. All right? But imagine what Paul went through. Paul is having to jump into the water, having to try and guide these guys. And I, I think there were like 200 or something, two or 300 of them. He's having to guide these guys. Hey, you're going to be okay. We'll be okay. Just, just do this. Just follow this. Right? He still had to go through the process. They get on land. They build a fire. He still got bit by the snake. I don't know about you, but... I would think that would be agony, even if it wasn't, you know, that you, pu- you, you, you got the poison in you. I mean, God obviously took care of that because it was a poisonous snake. But still the pain. Take two needles and go like this and tell me if it's not pain. Yeah, it's pain. And plus the fact that unless you like snakes, if you look and you see this big old snake hanging off your arm, I, that would freak you out a little bit. Wouldn't it? It freaked me out. I don't know what I would do. That's the agony he still had to go through. He still had to go through that agony before the breakthrough. The breakthrough came because that entire island came to know the Lord. But he had to pay a price. Do you know if they had listened to Paul and didn't get on that boat, then Paul would not have had that opportunity to lead them to the Lord. To literally lead the king and the rest to the Lord. That was the agony through the breakthrough. Now we'll get to the one that I actually wanted you to turn to. Chapter 21 of Acts. And I can imagine the agony of this. This is a story. Paul is near the, nearing the end. He's at, after his missionary journeys, he's nearing the end. He knows he needs to go to Jerusalem. Right? God has told him he needs to go to Jerusalem. Now, recognize what that means. Paul started in Jerusalem as a Pharisee, right? He, he, he went after Christians because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, the Bible says. And so when he left Jerusalem and he was converted and this big change happened, all of a sudden he is no longer a friend of Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem is not friendly territory for him. That's like going back into the lion's den after you came out of it and you were okay. Now the lions are hungrier or the Holy Spirit isn't holding their mouth closed. And the Lord says, yeah, go back in there. I'm not sure how Daniel would have done with that one, but... <laughs> Let's read here, verse, or chapter 21, verse 1. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. 
And having found a ship, crossed Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyrus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Recognize something going on here. This is extraordinary to me. It doesn't say here, and they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. First of all, Paul knew what was coming in Jerusalem. He he says later that that the Lord tells him everything that he is going to face when he goes into a city. He was told to go to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. It doesn't say it, but I'm going to guess he knew ultimately his death was coming. Although he did know that, that he would end up in Rome. But recognize what's going on here from the disciples. And, and by the way, this, this isn't like the 12 disciples or the 11. It, this is the disciples that were in that area, those who followed Christ. Their spirits, it was, and through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. It could have been that they were speaking in tongues. Okay. I don't think so. I think what's going on is their spirits were speaking to Paul's spirit. You ever, you ever get into a conversation and you are hearing way more from that person's spirit than what's coming out of their mouth. Now, sometimes we recognize that in, in, in this flesh. Sometimes we don't, but our spirits always recognize that. And in this case, they're starting to barrage him with the fact that he should not be going to Jerusalem. Now, did it mean that they were not in God's will, that they were against God? No. No, this is the beginning of the agony before the breakthrough. Because we know what happens in Jerusalem. They are, Paul is arrested. He ultimately goes to Rome, where ultimately he dies But before he does, he has the greatest outreach in those two cities than he had his entire time as a missionary. But there was agony before that. Let's keep reading. When our days there were ended, we departed, went on to our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And again, knowing here that Paul knows he will never see them again. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. By the way, one of the seven, what that means here is is when the, the original Uh, disciples that became apostles when they got so busy with the administration of the church because the church was growing insanely fast when they got so busy with that they said they said we it, it would be good for us to to have help effectively so seven men were chosen to help philip who is the guy here he was one of those seven i think that's back in acts chapter six Five or six, somewhere around there. Um, Okay, verse 9. 
and, and it's talking about Philip. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Imagine the agony. Okay, this is the last time Paul is going to see these people. The last time of that physical camaraderie with people that believed as the same way he did. Imagine the agony having to go through in the sorrow of saying, I know what's going to happen to me, but it is the Lord's will for me to go. Imagine that. You know, remember, Paul is still doing all this by faith. All this by faith that the Lord tells him that you will have this outreach, you will have this effect. Now, I'll guarantee Paul had no idea the effect that he would have in generations and generations to come. Imagine the effect he has on us right now. Just in reading of his missionary journeys, reading of his life, reading of his faith. But he knew right there that he had to go through that agony of choice, that agony of moving forward, even though it hurt, even though he knew what was facing him was probable death. Again, like Jesus, I would say that this was probably one of the greatest parts of agony for him, even more so than when he was arrested. Because when we are put into the cycle of what God is doing, when we're active and moving in what he has called us to do, and everything is so clear, There may be pain in that. There may be effects in that. But it's different than the agony. The agony is wondering, am I making a mistake? Could God have said something else? Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe, Maybe I'm not supposed to go to Jerusalem. I'm sure that those thoughts entered his brain because... Satan wanted him to think that. Satan wanted him to go against God's will. So what about your own life right now? Things that God has you in. A pathway that he has you on. And we begin to face things that look different than what we expected maybe that pathway to be. Okay, again, taking out the fact that I said before... I'm not talking about self-inflicted agony. I'm talking about God's will, God's plan for your life. We will go through a moment. We will go through a time where we have to question. Or the question, it comes automatically because everything else looks different. Everything looks 
In this case, perhaps opposite of what the Lord has said. But see, there is freedom even in that agony. There's freedom in that and victory in that final choice. You know, when Jesus went back, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and when he went back that third time to find the disciples sleeping, his course was set. He said, let's go. The betrayer's here. It's done. That's when he moved into that slot of forward progression. That now, it's yours, Lord. Whatever hits me now is up to you. I have no more requests in this. I have no more anxiety. I have no more wondering. Because I know they're there. And I'm ready. Are you ready? Are we ready? Are we ready for what he's about to do? See, in many ways, we're going through the agony right now. In, in some cases, physical. We've been in agony for a while. We periodically go through physical agony. But what about the testing of our faith? We are there as a church. We're there right now. As a nation, we're there right now. As a bride, we're there right now. Because it looks opposite of what he wants. Of what God wants. We know the readying of the bride in that comes ruling with the bride. Who sure doesn't look like that right now. It's hard to even find some people in Congress that even have an idea of what God wants. Which, by the way, I have to, I have to say this. Sorry, sidetrack. This is awesome. Rand Paul, my mother sent this to me the other day. Remember, I think it was last week, or it might have been Tuesday night, where we talked about uh, abortion, and, and I think you may have prayed it, and then I said something, and Hannah may have prayed it, and I said something about that, that abortion. The Lord told me that, that it will be because of, not because of Roe v. Wade being overturned, but be because there will be a new amendment claiming that life begins at conception. Rand Paul put out a letter, and I think it was a letter to Congress. Actually, I think it was a letter to Nancy Pelosi, right? I'm sure she read it. She probably put it on her wall. Very important to her. May have framed it. But look it up. Read this letter. This letter is stating that it has nothing to do with Roe v. Wade. It has nothing to do with any of that. He states in the letter, it is more of the fact that life begins at conception than anything else. Amen. There's a lot of things I disagree with Rand Paul on, but that's one thing I love. I love that. That is changing. But yet, you look at our Congress, you look at our leadership, and and you think, Lord, man alive, how is your bride going to rule here? We're in agony right now. We saw hope for four years. Not because of Donald Trump, but because there was breakthrough. There was these glimpses of hope and a possibility. And right now, that feels shattered. 
And I don't know about you, but that's agony. When it feels like it's going opposite of what God wants. But rest assured, it is the agony before the breakthrough. I want to take you one last example, just a couple couple minutes here. David, we we can't do anything like this and not talk about David. (laughs) Turn to 1 Samuel. I was going to start with this one, but but his is just so amazing. I love his heart. Now, we know the the situation. You know, he's, he's just shepherd boy, and he had these brothers that didn't treat him so well. Right. And and he, he just he just wanted it was told by his dad to take some food to them because they're they're at this standoff with the Philistines. And you've got Goliath out there threatening and just saying, you know, is there not one of you that is not a coward? You know, come out and fight me. And if you win, then, hey, we're yours. We'll be your slaves. But if I win, you be our slaves. And, 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 of course, they were not answering him. Nobody was going out. David comes out there to bring the lunch. And I love the brothers, you know, what they say to him. Seriously, you just did this. You just brought this out here so you could see the war. And I'm thinking, what war? There's not even war. They're all afraid to be at war. You mean you, mean you just wanted to come out here to see what kind of cowards we are? Oh, okay. Look at David's response. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right? He knew what his God could do through him. And so immediately he stepped up. And and I I won't go over the whole story, but let's start at verse 48 of chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. And this is after it had already been decided that David's going to do that. And Saul says, okay. And he tries on this insanely huge, you know, armor that... David can't do anything with, and, and, and he said, no, 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 I'll do, I'll, the Lord will take care of this. Don't worry about it. He goes, gets the five stones and all that. So that kind of catches up, us up to where we are. And David said, it is the Lord's battle, right? Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and this is after the Philistine was laughing and everything else at, at David. I love this. I have this highlighted three times in my Bible. David ran quickly toward the battle. Wow. David was like three foot nothing. I mean, he was a little taller than that. But but he was way shorter than Goliath. Way smaller than Goliath. And yet he ran. When it was time, he didn't just... Okay, let me think. How's the Lord going to do this? Let me stay away from him long enough till I figure this out. No. He's like, I'm going and I'm running. Lord, fill my arms. Do whatever you want because by the time I get there, I'm going to be dead if you don't do something. (laughs) And, oh, I love it. He ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, that thing had to be going at a serious velocity. It really did. First of all, do you know what a sling is? It's, it's not like a slingshot like what we have today. It's, it's, it's basically this piece of leather on these two strings, and they swing this thing around and you know, let, it, let it rip, right? 
it went with such velocity, it embedded into his forehead. I don't know, if everything else is big on Goliath, I would assume his skull is pretty thick. So that had to have some velocity to it. Uh, stones sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. Beautiful. <laughs> what a sight that would have been. The sword was probably bigger than David. <laughs> That would, I, I wish they had, like, iPhones back then so we could see all this. When the Philistines saw, and this is the part I want you to get. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gat and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. Okay, recognize what's going on here. And, and I'm not going to talk about from the perspective of David, right? I, I'm not, I mean, that was breakthrough for David. I'm not sure where the agony was for him, except for the fact that his agony was he wanted to be in the fight and he couldn't be, right? He, no, you just stay back and you, you take care of the sheep. His breakthrough came when Saul said, go ahead, okay? But that's not the perspective I want you to think of. I want you to think of that Israeli army. The Israelites. They're coming. This has been day after day after day after day where Goliath comes out and taunts them and says, is there none? Is there none? You know, taunting them, taunting their God, which is the God. That was his first mistake. Taunting every day. So imagine an Israelite, you know, somebody in the Israelite army watching this every day. Nobody's stepping up. And honestly, you're thinking in your mind, it wouldn't matter. I... I, I would prefer nobody to step up because as soon as somebody steps up, well, we got to become slaves. So let's let's make this last as long as possible. Don't don't even step up and let him taunt. Don't even step out there. You know, you can imagine their perspective on this. Then all of a sudden, this little kid, fifteen years old, short, comes out and says, "I'll do it." Okay, I'm guessing they felt agony right then. Wait, we're going to put our slavery future into the hands of this young man. I'm sure there was turmoil. I'm sure there was agony in their hearts. They're thinking, there's no way. There's no way. Even Saul finally said, oh, okay, I guess nobody else will do it. Somebody has to do it. So... It's probably better to be a slave than dead. So, David, go ahead. You could go out and die. He seems to be confident. Maybe he'll be fast enough to just run around him. But imagine the agony of them believing that at that moment they would become slaves. And then one moment later, they're chasing down the Philistines in victory. I love that. All of the sudden, what was cowardice turned into courage. See, the breakthrough came because God moved in a miraculous way through somebody. Then, 
all of a sudden, those who were in agony, who didn't see the breakthrough, saw what God did. And they said, yes, he has not forgotten us. We can run and we can take them. And they did. And they chased them all the way, killing those that were wounded. You know, in a side note, that was really unfair. That wasn't the bargain. The bargain was the Philistines were supposed to stay there and become the slaves. So technically, they all should have died. But they ran. Do you see the switch? They ran like cowards. The Israel army became courageous. It was literally in a moment. It was a moment of breakthrough that was preceded by agony. Man, recognize the agony that you may be feeling right now in your own life, in your own calling. As long as it's not self-inflicted, I want to put that out there again. Recognize that if you are on the path that God needs you to be and you are facing that agony, it's what we read first. It is him testing your faith for its genuineness. Do you believe Do you believe when it's tough to believe? Do you believe when everything else looks like doors are closing, but yet you know what God has said to you? You know the calling on your life. Do you believe? I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage the bride. Believe in what he has promised. Believe in what is coming. Because that breakthrough will come on the edge of that agony, just like it did with the army of Israel. In a, in a moment, it was seen differently. That breakthrough is coming for us. That breakthrough is coming for this country, for the world. That breakthrough is coming for the bride. Let's pray. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we worship you and praise you and we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you do take us through a process. That process is not just to get us from A to B, or perhaps from A to Z. That process is to purify our faith. That process is to teach us what trust really means. It's not just about saying yes For the first time, it's about saying yes every single day, over and over and over again. That process is knowing who you are, knowing what you have said, and moving forward regardless of the circumstances that surround us. Father, we know that you are good. So why would we react to ways that do not seem good? Just like David, Father, help us to run to the battle. Help us not to be afraid, but help us to trust, to trust you. If we don't know particularly what you are calling in our lives, we do have your principles in your word. We could run to those. 
Help us not just to walk. Help us not to just move carefully feeling our way. But help us to run. Knowing that somewhere along the line, you take our feet. You take our hands. You are the one that reach in and take the stone and put it in our sling. You are the one that aims. You are the one that lets it fly. Even though you use us, it is all directed by you. And then comes that moment of breakthrough. That moment of breakthrough. Where your word that we have held onto with so much faith becomes vindicated, becomes proven. Lord, let it be proven in our hearts long before that so that we stay the course, so that we are steadfast in what you want us to do. I pray for these words as they go out. I know, Father, that there are people in other countries that are hearing this right now and that will hear it later that are in very difficult situations. I think of India. I think of Kenya. I think of Pakistan. Certainly think of Nigeria, Uganda. These are all places where I know we have friends, brothers, sisters that watch. Lord, even though they are thousands of miles away, they are connected with us. Our spirits are connected because you have connected us. Place hope in their hearts. Take fear from their lives and replace it with purpose. Thank you for every single one of them. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.